This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, The Pineapple Daisy Recipe Book, Sensational Fruit Design to Delight Your Senses. And the co-authors are Lindy Orist and Xantia Abeta. And Lindy joins us. Lindy, who calls herself Lindy Orist, the fabulous fruit florist. (laughs) Hello, Lindy. Hello there. Good to have you with us. Well, thank you very much for the invite. Well, this is going to be a lot of fun, and by the time we're done, everybody's going to be so hungry, they're going to have to buy, have to find how they're going to uh, go online and get one of these, if that's possible, one of these fruit floral designs that you're so famous for. So you've basically been in this business for, what, since 2004, is that it? That's right. Been uh, experimenting for about a year before that, and then we... Uh, my mother and I teamed together and put in a, uh, a pineapple daisy with our own recipes, um, our own creations so that we could do whatever we wanted to them. And we customized a lot, uh, had great ideas from uh, loyal customers that would come in and say, you know, I would really love to see how chocolate dip pineapple tastes. And so we created a basket that had chocolate dip pineapple in it. And uh, we, we really do listen to our customers and uh, build baskets that uh, they're looking for. So imagine in your mind, all our listeners, this floral design made up of fruit and chocolate covered and caramel covered, and they're beautiful. They're just right out of a uh, a floral design book that, that someone looks like, you know, painted and, and it's, it's, it's an art form. And yet what's great about this, you can eat it and love it too. Right, and that's what's so fun about fruit is um, you have all of the colors of, you know, the bountiful harvest that, you know, God created for us, and uh, we have reds and yellows and greens and oranges and purples and all of these great colors that we can work with, and then combined with the colors, it's an edible fruit bouquet, so you can also eat it, and we also put chocolate-dipped strawberries in there. So here you have a, a successful business, in fact, uh, really successful, that you you got on a, let's see, what was it, the name of the, uh, is it a cable show? We were on uh, Food Network, the Food Network, on a show called Sugar Rush with Warren Brown, and he came to Colorado from Chicago and uh, battled the high altitude out here and <laughs> uh, came to our shop in Old Colorado City. And um, and uh, filmed a, uh, a story about us. We hadn't been in business very long, but we were sure excited to be um, on the Food Network. Oh, that's certainly. I mean, that was a, a great way to launch you even bigger than you were at that time. So congratulations on that. Now, with all of this, why write your book? Why publish a book on these recipes? Uh, obviously, you know, you're giving away secrets here. Well, we had thought of that also, that, you know, that there, there could be a double-edged sword to that. But because our business is local, we can't um, ship anywhere. It's, it's, a, it's a perishable product. 
and we're not able to ship our baskets anywhere. So it really does kind of confine us to a small Colorado Springs area. Um, we're not a big franchise, and we want to stay that way. We would like to stay kind of small so that the quality of our product is at its best. So we decided um, after a Girl Scout troop came into our uh, our store and asked if we would teach them how to make uh, an arrangement. They were trying to earn a badge, and we said absolutely. And so that the the cogs started churning in our brains about, hey, you know, this is really a fabulous idea. Um, the Girl Scouts had such a great time. They said it was the best badge that they'd ever earned. And because they had so much fun with it, um, we thought it would be a great opportunity to be able to introduce this to not only our community, but to um, the United States and maybe further on, um, on the ability to make your own custom arrangement. Um, you know, a lot of times people don't have the money to make these products. Um, our baskets can range anywhere from $25, $30 on up to $100. And in this economy especially, it's really hard for people to, to uh, you know, think that it's an okay idea to spend $100 on a fruit arrangement. But in, in retrospect, you can also think of this book as something um, – you know, a, a valuable tool for you. You can take the book, you can take all of the, the basic step-by-step -step, um, uh, instruction that we give you, and you can make your own basket at home. So that was our, our understanding. We have all of, you know, there's people out there all over, Ina Garten and Paula Dean, who give their trade secrets away in their recipe books. And um, they've still got a fabulous business in, you know, the place that they have their restaurants. And so we thought, you know, this is a great, a great uh, opportunity for us to share also. We want to emphasize this book is a hands-on instructional manual, a step-by-step -step instructions that you could really, by following your instructions, and you have pictures and details step-by-step, you can become a fabulous fruit florist, maybe even like Lindy Orist. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to create this book with the reader in mind, the novice in mind, somebody that has no background in this at all. They can pick up the book and match up the instruction with a full-color picture to be able to go from um, starting out with putting the lettuce and the kale in a container all the way up to being able to, to create this basket. And um, so um, uh, we, we go through the steps of, of teaching, you got, uh, teaching people to, uh, how to choose the container, how to, how to uh, choose the appropriate fruit, um, how to choose ripe fruit, for uh, the basket, which is very important because there's that fine line between um, the beauty of the fruit and also it tasting good. Um, you know, you don't want to put something in a basket that it, it may be colorful, but it doesn't have any uh, taste to it. So that we, we take this, the reader um, step by step through choosing the container, uh, choosing your appropriate fruit, Choosing uh, the, the chocolate, we give a little uh, lecture about healthy chocolate and why you want to choose uh, really good quality chocolate. And um, also, um, 
you know, then the, then the what to do with the uh, fruit afterwards. Uh, we give you a few recipes of what to do with leftover fruit. We have a watermelon and feta salad recipe in there. So um, it, it covers all of the basis of the of what we do, and it's all of our trade secrets. Everything that we do here in at Pineapple Daisy, teaching the uh, reader to do too. So with all this specific instruction of how to put it together, you also include, I guess, some of your best. Uh, original designs and their recipes. Uh, these are some of the names. Uh, I love the names. Pineapple Daisy, of course. Caramel Apple Daisy. This one sounds really good because I love strawberries. Strawberry <laughs> Sensation. Whoa. There you go. Strawberry right. <laughs> Sensation. <laughs> That'll get the taste buds just, One of the uh, things you know. that we do with our berries, which makes us so different than any place else that you can buy your berries, um, um, some of the, the the franchises out there, they don't do this, but Pineapple Daisy does that. We have the ability to hand lace all of our berries that go out. We use premium Belgian chocolate, and we um, have a have techniques that we use with uh, a bag of, of melted chocolate that we put on top of a chocolate dipped strawberry to set us apart. We have swirls and squiggles and polka dots and double dips. And uh, we even put toppings on strawberries, which is just a phenomenal thing. If you can think that there's something beyond a chocolate dipped strawberry, now there's a chocolate dipped strawberry with coconut and butterfinger pieces and toffee and um, chocolate chips and uh, uh, graham cracker crumbs and Oreo cookies. So, you know, there's a big spectrum of what you can do with a strawberry. And then, of course, there's other ones like Mug of Berries. And in these pictures, when you see the pictures like Mug of Berries, it's just wonderful. It's just wonderful how this, and for some reason you use kale. I guess that's to help hold up everything, and it has some kind of, why do you use kale? Well, it is a, a material that uh, covers our product. We use bamboo sticks to anchor it into lettuce in the bottom of the container, but the kale covers all of our mechanics, Ah. and uh, so it's, you know, another color, it's green on top of all of the yellows and the oranges and the reds, Um, uh, so basically what it does is it just covers our mechanics. Now, you haven't had formal education in culinary training, but you learned your cooking abilities from your Native American grandmother. Tell us how you learned that from your grandmother. Well, I didn't specifically learn how to do this trade from my, my Native but American cooking, grandmother. But your cooking but, abilities came from her. But my cooking abilities came from my grandmother, and I remember um, just being in the kitchen with her all the time. So my love of cooking came from uh, from her and her techniques and you know maybe she would just give me the the pot to stir or you know to flip the tortilla that's on the um, on the grill or you know something simple like that but my love of my grandmother um, inspired me to be have more of a love of cooking and so you'll wherever you'll wherever you if you find me I'm always going to be in the kitchen somewhere so um, just. Taking, uh, I had a real, real passion for flowers and, and creativity, and I, I do other things, pottery, and you know, um, just lots of other things that I, I find a creative outlet for. And I thought this would be a great way to match my culinary talent with my creative talent. 
Now, Xantia Abeta, the co-author of your book, has had some formal training. She sounds like she has received some uh, degrees that are very important in this line of work. Yeah, she she has. Uh, she has attended uh, the Johnson & Wales uh, Culinary School here in uh, Denver, Colorado, um, she, where she has uh, got her degree in the culinary aspect of it. So she has an advanced standing degree in these culinary arts, and I'm sure plays a, a big role in, in, in advancing everything you've been doing there. Yeah, and Vantia has been a wonderful addition. Uh, started out as an employee with just a passion and a flair for uh, the creative arts and, and has just fit in so well with our team and I really is, uh, was an instrumental part in putting the book together. I find it fascinating that you've learned a lot from a former White House chef, James Parker. Tell us about your relationship with James Parker. James is just a wonderful guy. Um, when my mom and I decided that we would thought about maybe putting this business in, um, we uh, found James. I'm not even sure remember the, the exact details of how we found James, uh, but we went out to a class in Philadelphia where he was teaching the technique of fruit carving. So he would take a watermelon and do the... Uh, the school and create uh, beautiful flowers on a whole watermelon, or he would um, uh, t take unusual vegetables and make exotic-looking um, uh, birds of paradise flowers, and and take a, uh, a a turnip or a beet and and carve that into the shape of a flower. And so using some of, not specifically using any of his techniques, but mostly mainly a lot of his ideas about fruit design, um, we brought back with us and incorporated them into our baskets. So James was just, he, he is just a, a mastermind of, of and a wealth of information on how to take just a piece of fruit with a few carving tools, turn it into a masterpiece. And And James has been also uh, featured on a Food Network challenge where he won a first-place challenge in building um, uh, fruit designs. Only they were more centerpieces, uh, using whole fruits and carved beets and turnips and things like that. So he's pretty wonderfully amazing. And your pineapple daisy recipe book could even help a beginner like me. I mean, you, you don't have to be at some advanced level to use the uh, all the important information you have in your book? Absolutely not. We could even teach you. Wow, that would uh, be exciting. Just, I know. We could even <laughs> teach you. It's amazing. I love fruit, so um, and, it would be fun. <laughs> we also have, I mean, we can teach you the very basic things. We have a beginner level, an intermediate, and a, an advanced level classes that we're teaching here in Colorado Springs. Um where we're going to teach you the basics, um, how to choose the container and put the kale in and put a few strawberries in a, in a mug. That'll be your first lesson. Then we may move up to the caramel apple daisy or the melon bloom where we teach you how to put uh, apple slices with caramel ribbons on them and create a basket that way. Um, and then we can uh, move on to the more advanced levels where we do Juicy Joy with the orange di uh, chocolate-dipped orange segments. And then the Pineapple Daisy, which is the, the, our masterpiece, our, our um, signature basket. 
where you use all of the fruits, and we teach you different techniques about um, placements of the fruit, and, um, uh, you know, even the novice can learn. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun, and obviously it sounds like it's real tasty. So congratulations. Lindy, do you have a, a website where we can learn more? We do. We um, Our website is www.thepineappledaisy.com. And also, um, I can give you a cell phone number that you can reach us at. It is uh, 719-660-1888. And we only deliver and produce orders for the Colorado Springs area. But our book is available nationwide. And if you have any questions about anything, um, Zanti and I will be around to answer any kind of questions for anybody. So we can get your book through AuthorHouse.com or through other retail online outlets like Barnes & Noble? Yes, Barnes & Noble and uh, Amazon.com and, um, yeah, it, it, uh, lots of uh, little boutique shops are carrying the book now. Um, and like I said, we're having uh, classes, including uh, we, we've also put together a, a kit that you don't have to go out and search all over uh, town looking for tools that you need. So with some basic tools that we can provide with a kit, including the lacing bag, a crinkle cutter, a melon baller, um, and uh, uh, actually a pineapple daisy cutter so that you can cut out uh, beautiful, beautiful fruit flowers. Thank you, Lindy. Thank you for being on Author Talk. Well, thank you very much for the invite. I'm very excited about the book and very excited about what the future. That was Lindy Orist. She is the co-author, along with Zantia Abeta, of their book, The Pineapple Daisy Recipe Book, Sensational Fruit Design to Delight Your Senses. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. It's the chance for you to hear firsthand from authors on why they write their books in their own words. It's called iUniverse Radio, hosted by Steve Jorgensen every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio, every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge. What's your story? Are you living it? Well, you could be. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Her passion is helping others discover, create, and live their personal brands. Yep, you heard me. You have a brand. No different than Coke, Pepsi, or Nike. You are a walking, talking, living, breathing brand. You're not a logo. You're not a tagline. The choices you make become the path you take. This is your brand. Now, live your story. Your brand is not just what you say it is. It's also what others say it is. So what are you communicating? And how can you create an authentic brand? We'll take on these challenges with What's Your Story? Every week, Hillary will feature teens, moms, and organizations that are learning and living their story. Now, her passion is to help others discover, create, and live their personal brands. To find out more, go to inspiredbyfamily.com. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. 
The title of the book, Bella the Witch and Her Worries, and the author is Sky Toggle. And Sky joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Sky. Yes, hi, everybody. It's uh, Sky Toggle. I'm the author of Bella the Witch and Her Worries, which is a fictional cartoon story. Um, and I've written it in just a lighthearted way to enjoy and look at how we all worry in our lives and see how a witch would worry. Well, she does worry, that's for sure. She has lots of worries, and of course, we'll talk about what happens to her because of all her worries, but I just want to read what you have written about your book. You said, we all have worries. Some people worry less than others, but other people worry till their worries become overwhelming. I want to explore this theme in an unlikely character in an, an amusing setting, so... Bella the Witch is certainly an unlikely character, and the the illustrations make her uh, even more unlikely. (laughs) She's amusing, that's for sure. Yeah. I took her to an extreme. I said, let's make her have a physical problem, because she worried to the point where her life in general, she was a thinker and a worrier, and then it got too complicated to the point where it started to grow warts on her hands and other physical findings, and... The problem is that we sometimes have anxiety and other physical problems, too, from worries. And sure. this is a fun way to show that. And that do we need to go this far, you know? Do we need to worry so to the extent that this happens? And in this story, you get to follow with her and really go live through that worry with her. And in a way, kind of forget your own worries in the process. And you kind of see, oh, well, you know, a witch is going through this and... So am I, and in a way, we all have something in common now, and it lightens our own burden, and it's very, in a way, comically done, and I wanted to make it very lighthearted and funny so that we could have a funny, enjoyable book to read, you know? Well, again, the illustrations are absolutely beautiful and so, not only creative, but very... Uh, what's the word? It just kind of pinpoints her problem because when, you know, if we had a, a worry wart on our body, it wouldn't like look anything like hers, that's for sure. <laughs> hers were very, very creative, red, blue, and yellow, and of course she has green skin. I mean, what more could you want? Yeah. Of course, and the warts don't go well with her green skin. I, I had to work with the uh, illustrator, and the design of the witch herself is my own ideas. Her the way she dresses, the way her hair is, and the way she color of her green skin. And and every character there's another character in this book, and we designed. And also, the warts have their own character, <laughs> and they're multicolored and exaggerated, and it's, it's something that we don't normally see on ourselves. But and it's kind of fun. It seems and like it such, yeah. It seems like on one of the warts I saw in an illustration, there was a face on it. <laughs> Looked like a little yes, lady, yes. ladybug face. <laughs> he was wondering if something's growing inside. <laughs> you know, and sometimes... And then she also concerned that when is her green thumb is, uh, you know, how is her thumb... Usually we have a green thumb when we do gardening. And she said, my thumb is turning this color, but I don't do gardening. And there was like a pun on that wording in, uh, in the book, so... So how young of how young of yeah. a reader would enjoy this? How young? I would say a twelve year old and above, or even ten year old or ten year old and above. Anyone who is reading already, and you know, I think 
first they'll appreciate just the pictures, I think. That'll take them through. But to really understand the concept of worrying, and I think the uh, older adolescents or middle-aged group, so I think adults will appreciate it the most. She looks middle-aged herself. She does not look childish. Um, I made her middle-aged because I said, you know, it's parents who really deal with all this a lot, and they could explain to a child better if, if they have a child who's worried, and it would help them see themselves through a better light, too. And to make it a child worrying, I didn't find that appealing in a way because a child shouldn't worry in the sense that, in the sense that they don't have to see themselves in the book all the time. This is a, just a generic uh, witch who worries. So we don't have to have her as a child or a, a human being. She's not even a human. So I made her a general unlikely character that doesn't place any restriction on who watches her and gets to relate to her. You know, that was the idea. If I had made her a child or an adult, extremely older person or younger child, then I think then it would be limited to those kind of people to read that story. And uh, a witch is usually middle-aged anyway. To me. <laughs> uh, well, certainly you, wanted the, certainly you wanted the reader to feel a sense of comfort that the reader is not alone in, in their worries. Absolutely. There is a comfort. And I felt writing it, I felt comfortable a comfort too and it was to comfort me you know we all have work and worries and and I said finally you know let me write this out I had written this a while ago and I wanted to bring it out to other people I think people have similar feelings in their lives and in the end well you can read the story in the end how it goes and I will leave that out for the readers of course um, when you have a, yeah. a when you have a real bad problem you go to a doctor so she went to the lo yeah. local witch doctor yeah she went to get treatment, and he told her the problem, and she had to work on her problem. I don't know if I can give out the whole plot and the answer to the problem, but sometimes magic doesn't work on our problems. There and you in go. In this case, it did not. No, ma know, magic does doesn't always work. Uh -huh. Sorry. We, we would like to magically fix all our problems, wouldn't we? Absolutely. Uh, we were hoping, I was thinking maybe this witch would, but then it wouldn't be fun if the witch had a magical answer. And it wouldn't be challenging anymore. And we all have to, to face the challenge ourselves, so why shouldn't the witch? And so we had to go through, had to go through, put her through the same process that we all go through, you know. The doctor did help her a bit with advice, and she had to struggle with her her worries until finally she found some some comfort in an answer in her mind. And she found that rest helped, and in the end she'll figure out that, you know, I won't give out the ending, but it's very simple. It's a simple story, and it's a funny, simple story, you know, let's, about what we all go through every day. Let's see. Now, Bella, what would she worry about? Give us some of the things that she would worry about. Oh, you know, her, her home, the cooking, the food, and how the moss is not enough on her house, and the, how the house doesn't face the moon, and things that we don't normally worry about, you know. Her broom. Um, so she, yeah, her broom sticks, and if they don't fly, what happens <laughs> if they don't work? And yes. Things like our cars. In a way, our cars, what if it doesn't work, and what if it's not working? Things we do every day. Go through our mental list of things. You know, do I have enough food in the house? That kind of thing. But she has eccentric worries. So, and, uh, 
And the kind of thing that you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you're worrying about something. Yeah, exactly. I had to show that. We do that. Some people do that a lot more than others. And you have to kind of say, oh, I see that in myself. I do that sometimes, you know, to bring out the, the relating to the uh, character. And um, how she suddenly sees something in the morning on her foot and then how she has to surprises her and how she deals with that. It's all very funny. But in the end, we sometimes have surprises too and we have to deal with them. And in the middle of our worries, we get another worry. So one worry is distracted by another one in this case. She has multiple worries already of her life and now a new one from the wart. And in a way, that's how life is. You have to focus on something else sometimes to fix that to get to the end, to work on other things, you know. So is this going to be a series, a series of books? I would like to. This is my first book. Um, I had to do it. I felt the need to do it. And uh, if I have another theme on his similar theme, I will go for that because I would love to explore these ideas through Bella. Um, she's an interesting character. I can develop her further. Uh, this is my first story, and it's small, and I wanted to see how people would like it. But I have other more in-depth ideas for her for next time. Do you have a website? I don't have one yet. This just came out in January, and I haven't, haven't hired people to help me when I will. <laughs> um, well, anything else you'd I, like to share with us about Bella or about this whole process that we take so well, seriously I, worrying? I would love... I would like people to give me feedback somehow. I will try to get a website up. I would love to know what they feel. If it helps them, that would be really a, a great thing. Um, you know, I would just love feedback. And uh, if they love pictures, we'll do more pictures next time. I had to focus on a lot of pictures, so I enjoyed that process. Um, it's unusual for a new book to be all, a lot of pictures. But I think it helped bring in the whole idea better and show you exactly what we're talking about. And I just love to get feedback from people, so I'll have to make a website or, you know, we'll get through the radio station. And people can yes. get your book through Author House? Yes, anytime. And I'm sure other retail outlets, online outlets or other book yes, retail outlets? Yes, available at Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com and other sites, yes. Well, very good, Sky. We appreciate you telling us about your new book, Bella the Witch and Her Worries. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was Sky, that was Sky Toggle in her Thank new you. book, Bella the Witch and Her Worries. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Maybe if I write a book, it will be the thing that keeps me alive. Those are the troubled words of a new 16-year-old author with her first thought-provoking book, What Gives? Published by Togi Entertainment. The author kept a diary during her dark teenage times, which turned into a 360-page suicide note with a happy ending. Texas Monthly describes teen author Chelsea Marie and her new book, What Gives? in this provocative way. We've plunged from page to page, not because of the young diarist's despondency. Depression is not especially attractive or compelling, but because we are fascinated to see that while she is fending off demons on one hand, she is writing verse with the other. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. 
Readers of What Gives are giving rave reviews. All social scientists, teachers, and students should use this book as a learning tool. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, A Confirmation of Family, Paul's Testament. And the author is Bobby C. Jones, and Bobby joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Bobby. Hey, how you doing? Well, this book, A Confirmation of Family, Paul's Testament, you say it is written from a seven-year-old African-American boy's point of view, not an adult telling a story that happened when he was seven. You're actually telling it from the boy's point of view, and that you're also, what sets the story apart is that the characters speak in the language of the time, but but the boys' thoughts and narrations are written in proper English. So I'm sure that was a challenge to take, you know, keep that all straight. But why write this book? Why did you want to write a book about a seven-year-old African-American boy's point of view? Well, I, I, well, I really choose a child because, you know, because if you ask a well, seven-year-old child, something he actually tell he have thought behind, it and he'll tell you every the reason why. But if he's like fourteen, he don't give you a dictionary answer. So I just they're more questionable. They question everything. Well, that's for or, sure. With that age group, we're always saying, "Why is this and why is that?" Right. Right. So here's this young boy, Paul, and he is looking at life around him, looking at family, and, and you say that, you know, this is an entertaining story. It It's not so much of a, some theme or some moral that you're trying to get across. It's, you just wrote it for entertainment? Right. I think that's it's like, I mean, you really don't go to a movie to be learn something. You go to be entertained. So I just decided, if I write, I'm going to write just for entertainment. Well, tell us about Paul. Tell us about who he is, where he is, you know, and what he's doing at this time in his life. Well, the year was 1964. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess you can think of that. He lived in Georgia, and things didn't work out, and they had to move to North Florida with their grandparents, well, with his grandmother. And he sort of learned that living on a farm was a little different. Then living, you know, in, in the city. So he's really going through a lot of changes. He sounds like he probably has to work a lot. Oh, a lot. In fact, oh, a whole lot. He has to work a whole lot. And Well, I can, well, it's all changing, and then it's a house full of women because there's no men. <laughs> so they all, you know, they passed away by the time he showed up, his grandfather and I don't want to give the book away, but 
it's only like one male figure that he looks up to. So uh, you can tell us about who is that? Who does he look up to? Uh, this is uh, grandmother's nephew, her sister's child. And how old is he? Uh, like 45. Okay. So he's kind of like a father figure to him then. Right. So that's very important for this young boy who uh, sounds like doesn't have a father, a grandfather right there that boys always look to. Well, uh, the, the biggest person is his grandmother, because back in the 60s, grandmother were <laughs> really the you know African American community. They they ran the thing. They ran everything. The family, even the, even if they had a husband, they still ran the family. <laughs> so, I mean, the extended family too. I mean, their children, their children for them, because they, they had all the babysitting. Because back then, they didn't have daycares, and so kids had to go stay with the grandparents. Right, family taking care of family. Right. So what does he think about? What are, what are the questions he's asking at this young time in his life? What is, does he see around him? Well, it's like little things. I can give you a little, little quote from it. It's, it's more like when he was in Georgia, it was all all black community, and he was like a little poor. And his moved here, his grandmother, you know, they had few hundred acres of land and a large house and and he asked his mom <laughs> why did she have a big white folk house no he asked was she white because she had a large house he had never seen a black person in a large house so he asked that question and she explained it to him that you know black people have stuff the same he didn't know you know he's a child he's asking questions so he kind of looked at life and thought, well, I am of a different color, and that's why we don't have any money? Right. That's what he was thinking, because that's all he ever saw. He, I mean, he never, he, he don't question it. He just want to know, you know, he just see things different. That's what I was trying It's a, that's, well, sometimes the book hard to read, but it's, it's really not. Why is it hard to read sometimes? Well, when you first start, you have to get used to the language, but after a couple of pages, the story takes over, and somehow your brain adapts to it. So you start uh, to get accustomed to the language, and I mean, it, there's kind of, I'm sure there's a kind of a rhythm to it. Uh, yes. It's a little rhythm, but it's more of, I think it's more of the, the brain adapts. Ah, Okay. So anything. I mean, I mean, if you're doing reading about anything after about a couple of pages, I learned this from taking these courses. Mm -hmm. After a couple of pages, your your brain adapts to what's going on, and it you can follow it through. But if you never go past the two pages, you'll never understand it. So, does Paul like the farm? Uh when he first gets there, he he doesn't. But he gets in a lot of trouble too. You know, he's seven years old. But he, he starts to enjoy. What does he like about the farm? Uh, well, I think the farm itself, he really, it's not the farm more, more than his family. And that's what your book is focused on, this, as you call it, a conformation of family. So he is, uh, at this time in his life, he's got a lot of questions about family, like any seven-year-old, especially... His dad's not around. His grandfather's not around. 
But there's something very, and he must feel the importance of the family. Is that what you're trying to say to us? Right. The importance of it. Because he, well, um, I think I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. But other than Georgia, he had a, well, I guess it was a normal family. His father and his stepfather. And, and well, he had to leave because his stepfather tried to kill him. I mean, I can say that. I mean, it's just the start of the story. Tried to kill him, and he had already killed his, his his father, and the police killed his stepfather. So they had no family left there, so they had to move on. That's what I meant about the family. Right. Well, he's he's uh, been through some very traumatic experiences then at a very young age. Right, and it doesn't stop. <laughs> but it, And you can't say it's about the language, too. Because he has a older sister, and she asked him why he spoke the way he spoke. And it's, it's really about the language they were speaking. And he would say, he was trying to teach me to talk like white folks. Ah. And, she, and she'd say, no, I'm just trying to teach you proper English. Yeah. You know, little stuff. But he, but he feels more comfortable, more being himself by speaking what he is, the dialect that he's used to speaking, is that what, what this is about? Uh, no, in a way, it's like him, when he's around his own, he does, but when he has to, you know, speak in public or anywhere, he uses proper English. So he's so learning, he's learning this whole, he's learning, right? He's just he's, learning. Yeah. He's learning. He's learned that if you, if, if you don't speak proper English, you probably won't get a good job. There you go. Right. So, now well, and, and it's, and most of it, and the second half of the book is more of him trying to learn how hard it was him trying to learn. He had to get, he had this, he got to give a large speech and for thousands of audiences. It's, it's, so the book uh, is about Paul from seven years old to does it does it go on into later well, years? It's, well, it's really only nine months of his life. Okay, and I got to write ten more. <laughs> oh, so this is going to be a series. All right, because it's like here in this town I live in, High Springs, a small. Back in a way, it's about this area. I mean, the historical things in the book are correct. The characters are just fictional. It could mm -hmm. be any family. Okay. So, I mean, I mean the hurricanes and whatever, you know, the, the dates and the weather and everything, that's all correct for those days in 1964. I so mean, so this know, first book is, is just uh, nine months, and then uh, as the, each you have nine more novels that you're going to write, at Paul growing up in this small... Southern farming community, right, and they all about a year. <laughs> okay, a year, Just each. a year each. So we got nine more to go. He's going to be about sixteen then when you're done. Right. Well, maybe you'll continue on. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to. I'm getting pretty good reviews so far. So. Well, fantastic. Good for you. Good for you, Bobby. It's uh, it's a little different. It's kind of hard to explain because. It actually takes you through every emotion you have, all of them, every one. I mean, every one of them. That's what I tried to do. So, so every one meaning from feeling good to being very scared? Scared, 
crying, love, hate, mm -hmm. everything. Okay. Every one of them. That took a while to write <laughs> to make sure that happened. I find myself reading and I'm thinking, did I read this? I mean, did I write this? Uh -huh. you know? But it's more of a, I write a little different because I start writing and the, and the story itself takes it where it's going. I don't decide the story. The story decides the story. Most authors talk about that when they're writing fiction. The, the characters just kind of start talking, they say. Right. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I started one way, and then something will happen, and so you have to carry it that direction. <laughs> I mean, that's what I mean. I don't know what I, I've written until I've already wrote it. Now, does Paul have any special friends that uh, help him? Oh, that's the big part. He's the only boy, and he lives on a farm, and he had to give up certain things. You have to give up living like that. So he does live quite a ways from anyone else his age. Right. Well, he has a that Henry Lee, the forty-five-year-old, I guess, the only male around. But well, he has a family too. He got a boy a year younger than him, than Paul, and. You know, that's about it, because they live on the farm, and he really don't have time. You know, he got to chop the wood. He got to do everything a man does at seven <laughs> around a farm. So he don't really have time to do anything else. From sun up to sundown, kind of a job, huh? Kind of a life. Right. He's had to grow up pretty different. <laughs> so at seven years old, he's on the farm. Is there any playtime for Paul? Uh, not really. <laughs> I'm only saying that because uh, I was sort of raised on a farm, and you really don't have much playtime. So what I does mean, what does Paul then do for himself at that age? Uh, you know, that's usually we see kids that age. I mean, they're they're into doing things for themselves. They're for entertaining themselves. How does he deal with all this at such a young age? Well, uh, that's the point of it all. He deals. He deals with it without. He's so busy. He don't think about it. I mean, he has. You know, he. He just. There's no playing time for him. That's the point of the story. Mm -hmm. His kid doesn't have time to play like other kids. So what does he think he, about? Has he got some uh, dreams, or at that young age, what is he thinking about? Uh, if I. I don't know, I'd probably give the book away. <laughs> oh, you don't have to give us everything, that's for sure, but, you know, give us one thing that he thinks about. Oh, well, that's what I was saying about the speech, right. you know, the dialect and everything, that's what what happens is, that's what he does best, speak best, in front of an audience, you know, mm -hmm. just, he's, he's good at it. He's a smart kid in school, and he's thoughtful. And, but he's curious. So does he get a chance to speak at school or at church? or? Uh, no, it's a little larger than that. Okay. He, well, I can say that. It doesn't matter. He's, it's at the uh, Civic Center with like 20,000 people. Because hmm. he, he won a contest. Ah, okay. So, I mean, and the thing was, all other kids were teenagers, and he was seven, and he won. All right. I mean, that's what I was saying. That's, I didn't want to give too much away. 
Well, we'll have to find out all the details, but that sounds pretty interesting of how in the world did he get chosen to speak in front of such a large group. Well, because I did when I was that age, that's a little bit about me. Not the same way, but mm-hmm. it was the same. Oh, you know, when you write, you do write a little about yourself in every book. I mean, sure. Just, sure. Well, you say this book appeals to mostly female baby boomers, especially from the South, uh, reminds them of their youth. Right. It reminds them of a time when they, when grandparents were grandparents. You listened to them, they were the smartest people. I mean, they wasn't, they wasn't always right, but they did have an answer for something. And, you know, there, was, and, there, and there was respect for the grandparents. Right. Well, Bobby, tell us how to get your book. Uh, well, you can order it from Barnes & Noble or Amazon.com, or you can order it from my website, BeOliverCharles.com, and BeOliverCharlesBooks.com. Well, Bobby, we appreciate you telling us about your your new fiction, and it really is a lot about black history, right? Uh, well, I thought it was, but <laughs> <laughs> after I wrote it... Uh, even the, the white people in South Africa. I remember that. Oh, I mean, really? Okay. It's the same. You know? Okay. It just happened to be, the kid just happened to be black. It's telling the story of them, too. All right. Just of a southern thing. Well, thanks again. Oh, thank you. That was Bobby C. Jones. He is the author of his book, A Confirmation of Family, Paul's Testament.